0: as I started to have, you know, big shifts and awakenings in in my sort of whole paradigm of living, I started to think, hey, wait a second, this
2: On this episode of the Multi Amory Podcast, we're talking about mindful sex and how mind-blowing it can be. Oh, there's a cool play on words there. And we're doing that with... Jessica Graham. You got so caught up in your play on words,
3: you forgot who we're even talking to. I did. We're talking with,
2: with Jessica Graham today. Jessica is a meditation and mindfulness teacher and coach in Los Angeles who leads classes, workshops, and retreats. She also works with individuals and couples in the realms of spiritual, sexual, and creative awakening. And her book, Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out, will be available one week from today from North Atlantic Books and everywhere the books are sold. And we're really excited to have her on the show. Let's get to it.
1: And here we are with Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, your book was magnificent, by the way. I really, really enjoyed reading it. I read my uh, section and. Like I think the first five chapters in one sitting, it was great. Um, But something you touch on immediately is that meditation um, is a way to awaken your most fulfilled sexual being. And that's something that I never really thought of before, but it makes so much sense. Um, You speak about it a lot in the book, but can you talk a little bit about your journey so that our listeners can have a preview of that?
0: Sure. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you guys. Um, and thanks for reading it. Um, so, yeah, so I was always a really sexual person. It was always it always had a high priority in my life. Um, but what I didn't realize is that I was um, very limited in how I was able to express sexually and connect sexually, um really connect at all, but certainly sexually. And when I started meditating about, whatever that was 10 years ago, um, and I started meditating regularly uh, on a daily basis, I started to um, taste the food that I was eating and smell the air that I was breathing and feel the sensations in my body and notice the thoughts. And I started to have this um, full sound and color experience, whereas before I was really living from basically the neck up, just just thinking, mm. thinking, thinking, um, and quite miserable and suffering a lot as a result. And so as I sort of settled into this new way of sort of being with myself, being with the world, and as I started to have, you know, big shifts and awakenings in, in my sort of whole paradigm of living, I started to think, hey, wait a second, this should work for sex too. And um, at that point in my life, I, th- there was not a lot of sexuality going on. I had intentionally... um, to be, to really commit (laughs) and, um, to, you know, physically commit and also to emotionally commit and not to, um, engage with anyone else in that way. And it was a very sort of specific plan and I felt like I needed to do it. And, and I'm glad that I did because it really, um, it was actually quite healing for me, but it wasn't my sort of natural, um, Proclivity, like that's not really <laughs> how how I operate, um, and the partner I had was not really interested in having very much sex with me, mm. let alone sex that was um, spiritual or mm. that was even just that was more connected. Um, and I, you know, I have a lot of compassion for that, especially now that I that I teach around this topic because I see just how much. Um, how how how, hurt, how much hurt there is in sexuality for so many people Absolutely. um yeah but at that time i you know i didn't really have any way to test it out and so i basically started just working on my sexuality like with myself in sort of a inquiry based way just sort of like exploring you know who am i as a sexual creature and, and what does that look like and and you know, pretty quickly I grew out of that relationship and ended up in, in another one shortly after that was like day and night as far as sexuality goes. Like I'd never had an experience where, you know, I just stared into my partner's eyes and, mm. you know, we we basically had like a spiritual experience during sex. Mm. But it was a direct result of other parts of me waking up and and that's the thing with waking up, it's like it will spread <laughs> to, to all different parts of your life and if if you try to block it. Um, then you end up really suffering, and that's part of what this book's about—is about like why are we going to leave that stone unturned in spirituality? Because all that all that's doing is causing suffering.
2: Mm.
0: I, I yeah, I kind of want
3: to pick up on that and take a little side path here to talk about the fact that I think that it's it's like culturally there's one corner where meditation and mindfulness lives. And then sex lives in the opposite corner. And the only way we could bring spirituality to, or mindfulness to that is like through Tantra. You know, that's where all mm-hmm. our minds immediately go is, yeah. okay, well, we'll save that for the Tantra manuals. And I think that's what I love so much about your book is, you know, you do touch on Tantra techniques a little bit. But I want our listeners to get clear that this isn't just a Tantra manual. Um, that yeah. That is actually making mindfulness... During sex and around sexuality, much more accessible. Even if you don't want to, you know, start doing the whole yoni lingam, chakra balancing um, I don't like that kind of lingam. thing.
0: I don't like that word lingam.
3: I don't like either word. I don't like either, words, don't like either, either of them.
0: No. <laughs> I mean, I I don't I would never say uh, call my vagina a Yanni, but um, the lingam. I mean, lingam just makes me like.
2: <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, baby, take take that lingam. He's like, don't bring like- that
3: lingam near me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now, I'm sure some people do use those words, and no, that's okay too. But yeah,
0: okay, exactly. No, that's that's right. Like I have, a lot, I have a lot, of I have a lot of friends and colleagues in that world, and I I will openly say this to them: like I don't like that word. But at the <laughs> same time, you know, tantra, it, t- tantric sex, as it's known, as it's known in the West, is a really wonderful, um, powerful way to connect. Mm-hmm. But it does require um drinking a certain amount of Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what and and so does orgasmic meditation. Now I love one the One Taste Organization. I love what they're doing. Nicole Daydon is just I, I had the pleasure of spending a little bit of time with her recently and she's such a powerhouse. She is she's really a spiritual teacher and um and I love what she's doing. Um but again orgasmic meditation that's its own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a specific technique. And what I wanted to do is create something that didn't, it, it's not a thing. It's just like, here's some invitations and suggestions and things you can try, see how it works for you, mm-hmm. um, and build upon that. Like, I, I, this book is an invitation, you know, to, to, to start exploring. Right. Yeah, it's, it's,
2: I think kind of what we're getting at is that the approach in your book is kind of um, belief and spirituality agnostic, Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to take anything on faith. It's just kind of a practical mindfulness thing, rather than Mm -hmm. being connected to any sort of spirit or other stuff, right? Believing
3: that you're doing something with energy, or right that this is much more
2: kind of practical, and then whatever you believe can go with it. It doesn't. You don't have to kind of drink the Kool Aid. I guess is is what you're getting at
0: that's exactly right and I'm glad that that's I'm glad that that comes across because that was it was really really important to me uh, um, there's a book called I think I have it next to me maybe I don't there's a book called Waking Up by Dan Sam Harris Sam, Sam Harris, Harris. Yeah. Yeah. yes yeah.
2: good one good one and he did I just, 10% I, happier too right
0: did he yeah that was I think that was Dan. Yeah, I think yeah. that was somebody. Okay, somebody got else. it.
1: Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. But so, Sam Ariz, yeah, waking yeah. up is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, and he's coming from like a straight up atheist perspective. Mm-hmm. And then yes. he started having spiritual experiences, and he's like, well, I don't know what else to call this. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely, that's definitely been me. Like, I was never, um, like, when I was little, I was really into meditation. And, um, and I would always would kind of go towards spirituality when things were really hard. But I, I sort of rejected the whole thing in a, in a way and certainly rejected any religion. And um, but then I started having experiences mm-hmm. <laughs> and I couldn't like be like I had to just go on my experiences. And so, mm-hmm. again, that's this book is is my you know, my experiences and the experiences of people I've worked with. Yeah, yeah. got it.
1: So going way back um, (laughs) just to something that you touched on briefly in your first explanation um, is we just had an episode maybe about a month ago on sexual incompatibilities um, and then changes in sexual desire over time in relationships. Can you speak to reasoning why you think desire in a relationship can drop over time? And then uh, to piggyback on that, what specific exercises would you employ for partners who are having a challenging time within their sexual relationships.
0: Sure. Um, So I think most long-term relationships are going to experience that. I think it's very, very few Mm -hmm. that don't. And usually they're going to experience it anywhere from, you know eight months to three years in, you know, the chemicals are going to change and, you know, I'm not a, not a scientist, but I do know that the chemicals change and they go from the, we must make a baby chemical to the, um, to the, we need to make a nest chemical mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need to make a nest just isn't as sexy as we need to make a baby. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the thing is, this happens, you know, in same sex relationships as well. So, I mean, it's, I, Again, I don't know the, all the science around it, but I do know that that happens, that that's a natural thing that happens. Um, and it's often why you see some folks that just, and myself included, for a long time, I just jumped from one long-term to another long-term, but the long-term was only like a year or two, you know, mm-hmm. and then it would, like, things would ch- change. I wouldn't feel that thing anymore, and there'd be resentments, and there'd be lack of communication, and then I'd be like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm out, at- I'm out of here, Um And, you know, and then you never actually get to work through the stuff that you're talking about, the actual, like, what do you do when those changes start happening? Um, And my philosophy around this is that your sexuality, both your sexuality with yourself and in a relationship are, are a relationship. And they need to, the, the sexuality, sexual connection needs to be fed just like any other relationship. Like, you know, one me and my, my friend, Stella, if we never talk, then we're not going to have much of a relationship. We need to put energy into it to have a relationship. And it's the same thing with sex because, I mean, I know for, even for myself, like, I recently went through or I'm still kind of going through just a stretch of not a lot of attention on my sexuality, which is funny with the book coming Mm -hmm. out. (laughs) But when I don't have a lot, when I have my attention elsewhere and I'm not consciously giving attention to my sexuality, then it just starts to fade a bit. Mm -hmm. But all it will take is some attention. So if you're in a you know pretty healthy relationship and there's a lot of communication and honesty, then it's just about doing some work. It's about... Taking the time doing the the thing that everyone hates, but planning to have sex, having the plan, um, uh, you know, getting some new sheets for the bed that feel sexier on your body, you know, being aware of what art you have up in your bedroom, um, you know, watching some ethical porn together, writing each other sexy texts throughout the day to just like keep it alive, right? And then um, bringing more play into sex because sometimes what can happen when we're sort of on a dry spell is the play can start to go and just Mm -hmm. let it be funny let it be awkward (laughs) but usually people that have a a relationship where the communication is really going well and there's not a lot of resentment are not usually having so much of this problem Mm. um i think that what happens over time is we don't say what we need we don't say what we want and so we don't get what we need and we want and I can't tell you how many couples I've, I've spoken to where they actually want the same thing, but neither of them are willing to come out and say, this is what I'm wanting. Whether it's, you know, whether it's a a certain type of sex or whether it's just like wanting, you know, the other one to shave their facial hair a certain way, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like we are particular little creatures, us humans. And, um, you know, we have our, we have our things. And I think, Because as a culture, we're not comfortable talking about a about sex in relationships. There's not comfort talking about it either. And you can be with someone for 10 years and they still don't know what what turns you on because you're not telling them. (laughs) So communication, I mean, you know, there's lots of tricks to sort of charge up the sexuality. But if the communication and trust and sort of basic level of sort of respect for each other isn't there, then it it doesn't matter how many sexy texts you send. Mm. Mm.
1: Right. That's
2: great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) just... quickly to go on that too that, that sending sexy text without having communicated beforehand that this is something you're going to do can kind of have the opposite effect where it's just like, <laughs> ugh, sure. like, like I, if, if you're not in the space Why? to receive yeah. it it's like where is this coming from right. like please sure
0: yeah. but then comes the then come the tools of nonviolent communication right when right. I mean, you get that sexy text and you're not feeling anything close to sexy how you respond to your partner in that moment of vulnerability is going to shape your relationship right mm-hmm. so if if you you know it doesn't mean you have to consent to something you don't want to like if you're like hey I'm that's not really where I'm at right now but the way that it's communicated and the place from which it comes if it if it comes from a place of i want to make you feel small mm. well then that it'll have that effect and it'll mm. be you know um, harmful to the relationship so I think that's another piece that's really important when there's a low desire partner that both both people are aware of, of how tricky that situation is. The person yeah. that feels like they're constantly getting rejected and the person that feels like they're constantly getting pressured. Right.
2: Yeah, Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to steer us in a different direction a little bit again. <laughs> uh, and this one is uh, about a theme that I noticed that came up a few times in the book is about... Orgasms and specifically the mental pressure either to have them or not to have them too soon, uh, and how, and how in both ways that focus on whether or not you're having an orgasm at any given moment itself can cause the problems or, you know, contribute to them or at least contribute to our suffering about them. And this was something that for me in, In college, we had a, you know, like a sexual health center that had a library where you could check books out for free um, that were all sex-based books. Mm -hmm. And I checked out The Multi-Orgasmic Man. And, you know, it's, it's, I guess, similar in that it's a little bit Tantra-ish based, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of more just a practical sort of thing. Uh, I guess it talks a little bit more about energy and all that. But anyway, I found that for me, that was, like had a huge impact on how I looked at my own sexuality and orgasms and sexual pleasure and stuff like that of rather than it being something that you control by checking out of and Mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, baseball Baseball, or, or whatever. (laughs) uh, But that instead it's about, you know, connecting to it and feeling it more and that it's kind of this counterintuitive thing. Mm. Uh, But anyway, I just wanted to, to say that i appreciated that you brought that up through the book and um i was just curious to hear kind of your your thoughts on that and how that has changed your way of approaching sex and what you've seen it do for other people
0: yeah yeah um well yeah i mean i think this is one of the areas where tantra really has tantric sex really has something to offer which is to take the emphasis off of orgasm because when we think about it, orgasm—even if you're having a long orgasm—it's still not that long. It's still, you know, it, it's only so, so long, nice. and then it's yeah. going to be over. And um, and if if our whole like s- sex life is built around this thing that lasts for however many seconds that's it's kind of a shame we're missing out on a lot just 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 like in life if all we're focused on is well when i get this much money when i when i own that car you know it's like oh so i miss out on everything that's awesome right now um so i think i really like that about about tantric sex that they that they really take the emphasis way off orgasm um it's one of the most common things that people want to talk to me about is um, generally women who have anxiety around having an orgasm and more often than not men who have anxiety around being able to have an orgasm and mm. you think I would get more of the other men you know men who are you know going to feel like they're going to orgasm too soon but no I tend to get emails from men who can't mm. and so it's it's really interesting because I didn't I, I guess I never even thought about that as a thing until I started doing this work. You know what I mean? I always just thought like, oh, it's women who have the trouble and men can just come whenever they want. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I, I've been educated through educating others. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's the, the main key to sort of move through that is to get out of the mind and into the body Mm -hmm. and, this is also why a daily practice is so helpful. Because if you're mm. practicing daily, putting your attention where you want to put it, regardless of what else is going on, you're starting to train that skill of concentration. And then when you're having sex, you can take that concentration skill and you can uh, use it to to focus on things other than what's happening in your mind. Um, I, I, for many years, had a lot of anxiety around orgasm. And I would have to squeeze everything really tight and, um, think about, um, certain fantasies, which it's funny because they don't get me off at all now, but at the time, like it was for years, like the same fantasies, that's what would get me off. And I'd be there with my partner, but I'd be totally locked up and thinking about you know a dark alley and like mm. I'm allowed to am I allowed to say whatever I want yeah we have an explicit rating
3: on iTunes so you're okay <laughs>
0: okay I was gonna say uh, thinking about anal sex in a dark alley <laughs> like in the, like while I'm there like with this person that I supposedly love and like nothing wrong with anal sex in a back alley mind <laughs> you. but like if that's all that could do it for me then what about everything else all the other colors of my sexuality and so this idea of be having embodied sex. Um, it, I sort of discovered it before I was meditating. Um, but 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 now it's like a regular practice, and it's just like you, I'm just in the body, and that's mm-hmm. the, that's what I one of the number one things I do with anyone. It's either you know, oftentimes it's um, mindful masturbation, so just getting in your body during masturbation, not doing all the things that you normally would do, going straight to whatever your thing is, but instead just getting to know your body feeling sexual pleasure and staying in the body not trying to quiet the mind but just coming to the body anytime you get caught in it right
3: right yeah so something else that that came up in your book that I really appreciated um and I particularly noticed it in the section when you were talking about threesomes which is a very Uh common fantasy for people I feel like everyone who's a millennial that's like the thing you do these days Um, like everyone feels the need to check (laughs) that box Millennials (laughs) only? I don't know about millennials only but I I just feel like, I don't know I feel like people in my generation, it's like everyone wants to check that box, right? Uh Um, uh The threesome. More
1: like been there, done that
3: (laughs) But something that I really appreciated is you put this emphasis on you know, threesomes are great but like you don't need to hop at the first opportunity that comes along if it's not the right person, you know, Mm -hmm. or if everybody's just like sloppy and drunk, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it is okay to wait and actually try to find the best person to have a threesome with. And that this comes up in in many other parts of the book is that, you know, you don't have to hop at the first opportunity to have sex when you're wanting sex. You know, you don't have to hop at the first opportunity to have a relationship when you want to have a relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess what I wanted to talk about is, that's all fine and good to say but then for people that i know who you know they've been in a dry spell for 6 months and they're going crazy or somebody who's very specifically has a, a you know a threesome fantasy that they've had their entire life and they're just like so excited to do it and they really really want to do it or someone who hasn't been in a relationship for a while and feels really lonely and disconnected and it becomes harder and harder to not want to jump at those opportunities. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I want to talk about like what kind of mindfulness techniques or what have you found that has helped people who are in those situations where it can be so tempting to go after the first opportunity, even if it's not the best choice.
0: So first of all, you know, you're as long as you are consenting adults, you're not going to fuck anything up, Mm. you know, like you're not going to make the big mistake, you know, because Being human is making mistakes and having a good life and having a successful life in all the the ways that that means, it it takes making mistakes. And so, look, I have certainly made my fair share, um, you know, even not that long ago, just like, okay, I'll do that. And then I was like, huh, why did I do that? (laughs) I didn't really want to do that. Like, you know, and it's a, you know, there's a learning curve, right? Like the more, you know the more we grow and evolve, there's parts of us that that have to catch up. So it's not the end of the world, first of all. Um, Secondly, um, I think... And that's about self-love, right? And I think my other answer is also about self-love. The more that I'm in alignment with with what's most loving for me, the easier it is to make choices that feel good. Mm. And so uh, what I suggest to folks who or maybe in that situation, it's like, how can you nurture and generate love for yourself? How can you, how can you give yourself what you need instead of feeling like there's a lack that you need to go out and fill. Um, And there's nothing wrong with casual sex. You know, I would also say like, if, if you want to have casual sex, great, but, but do it in a safe consensual way. And be aware of you, how valuable your time is. We don't have endless time. Like, I've definitely had times where I've, you know, I've gone out and had a date with someone, and then I'm like, huh, that was four hours. And I can think of a lot of things I would have rather done with that four <laughs> hours.
2: And huh. not
0: that anything's wrong with the person, but, you know, just, like, I have a full life. I have a partner who I really like to spend time with, and I have a very full life. And so... Um, I think I think just recognizing that you are valuable, you are lovable. Like I think that's the antidote for that feeling of I need to go out and get something because I don't have anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, I think that um, with all with I mean with most things in life, approaching it from a sense of need tends to be a lot less empowering than approaching it from, I'm fine, but I would like this. Yeah. There's that
0: that little shift. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And that's actually a little bit related to to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is porn. And Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to say, first of all, that I love that in a mindfulness book that you do talk about porn quite a bit, and and very frankly, too, (laughs) like very... Yeah, I guess just very upfront. So thank you for for having a chapter about that. Um, Yeah. I guess, uh, well, to start out, um, is just that you mentioned earlier already in this interview uh, about ethical porn, about finding ethical porn. And I know that there are um, some other people out there who talk about it, but I think for a lot of people that it kind of doesn't even occur to them Mm. uh, because porn is something that... We often approach as as young people that's kind of shameful and something you have to hide. And so Mm -hmm. I guess even the thought that this could be something ethical maybe doesn't even occur to people because this is a shady, dark, secret thing. Uh, So I was wondering if you could just kind of briefly give us a little bit about about that shift to, to seeking out ethical porn.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, what you just said is the whole reason why I wanted this chapter in the book is that most people are watching porn,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: most people are not talking about it. So, people that are Buddhist are watching porn. People who are spiritual are watching porn. People, whatever, you're watching porn. <laughs> uh, it's it's raking it. The the porn that's being paid for is raking in like billions of dollars. Let alone all the porn that most people are watching, which they're not paying for. So. If we're not talking about it, then we're not talking about a huge part of being human. We're not talking about a huge part of our psychology. And I've defi- I'm definitely known to end up getting in a little bit of trouble with some of the stuff I put out there because I'm interested in looking at everything. And I'm not interested in looking at it in a black and white way. Mm-hmm. And that includes porn. Um, I had my own sort of personal awakening around porn when I watched um, Hot Girls Wanted, um, and there has been some controversy around that documentary um, with people in the industry. Um, but for me, it was a it was a real wake up call. Um, it put a fate. It put like a real person to these faces and bodies I had looked mm-hmm. at and and objectified. And it, it, just, it, it just changed me. The same way that someone watching a PETA video could change them and how they eat. like It just changed what I was willing to view and, um, and how I was going to view it. And basically, the number one thing that people will tell you is, uh, people in the industry will tell you, if you want your porn to be ethical, number one, pay for it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that there aren't sites that offer free clips. And some of my favorite ones do but to watch a full the full thing to get all the all the goodies you've got to pay for it because if you're watching porn and not paying for it then there's a very good chance you are not watching ethical porn mm-hmm. and certainly certainly those performers are not getting anything from your views mm-hmm. um so that's the number one thing um also, just to do your research, and I list in the book some resources for some different sites that I've researched to the best of my ability, and they they, they occur at least at that time as ethical. Um, but these days, it's not hard to find. You know, you can go- you can Google ethical porn and find stuff. Um, And another great way to do it is to, like, follow performers on social media. And Mm -hmm. if they're saying, hey, just did this scene with so-and-so and and it was so much fun, most likely they didn't have some horrible experience. Most likely they weren't, you know, being treated awfully because, you know, they're willing to to tweet about it. So that's another kind of way you can look into it. Um, A lot of the sort of girl next door, um, that sort of stuff, a lot of it, it's it's. It's girls that are being brought in and basically being used up in the sense of, okay, they do the girl-girl, they do the guy-girl, they do the anal sex, they do the BDSM, they do the gangbang, and then they're done. They've gone to all Mm -hmm. the places, they've made the money they can make, which is not nearly enough, and then they're more or less washed up and have to do, like, you know... Get, maybe maybe get paid maybe do some and get paid not very well or maybe go home and like that's what the that's what's illustrated in that documentary and again it's not black and white i'm not saying that every girl that does a girl next door porn is being exploited or that she's feels she's mistreated but there's a lot of that that goes on um and i guarantee you <laughs> there are plenty of like spiritual people out there who are watching this kind of porn and who are getting off to it. And I was one of them mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not anymore because I changed, you know, it changed for me. And so I'm passionate about talking about it because, you know, it's two reasons, one to end suffering and two, um, to improve sex, sexual sexuality because porn is really hot and can be really even healing for people. Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah wow thank you that, yeah. was, that, was, great. that was great um i'm gonna, I'm,
0: I'm, gonna, so I, I'm a little
2: bit on a soapbox about this. no no
3: i think it is so important like you point out that it is something that tends when it is talked about in public it is in these very black and white terms yeah um yeah. You know, on social media or in news coverage or anything like that and it is really important for us to find the the middle path as it were Mm -hmm. with with porn usage and with what kind of porn we are choosing to consume and choosing to support Yeah.
2: yeah 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 absolutely it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash
0: life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say
3: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M U L
2: I'm going to change us directions again. This book covers so much stuff that <laughs> I feel like we, our yep. questions are all over the place. So yeah. thank you for, for flowing with us here.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, um,
2: so this is about uh, your... You have a, a chapter that's about safe sex being good. You know, good sex is safe sex and also talks about consent. And this is something that... You know, has been near and dear to my heart as someone who you know hopes to educate, especially men, uh, and that 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 consent is a sexy thing, that it's a fun thing, um, and mm-hmm. so I, I love that you address that a little bit in the book. Um, I did want to talk about the the safe sex thing in terms of the STI testing and stuff like that that you talk about, and mm-hmm. one thing that you mentioned in your book is about just the importance of getting tested for everything. And I did just want to clarify, though, that getting, quote, tested for everything is not as simple as it sounds. Um, And I did want to bring some awareness to this, that when you go to... A clinic or when you go to your doctor and you get your normal STI tests that there's actually a lot of stuff that this doesn't include most Mm -hmm. notably is HSV is herpes Um, Mm -hmm. and that that's something that doctors don't test for because most of us have it and it doesn't actually affect our health very much so a lot of doctors Mm -hmm. won't test you for it for one probably to save the cost but two because people freak out when they get those results and they find out that 80 percent of us or whatever have at least one form of hsv Mm uh and anyway i did just want to to clarify that and while that might freak a lot of people out uh My hope is to, you know, through awareness for people to become more comfortable with that so they can have practical conversations that the STI conversation doesn't just go, hey, I'm tested and I'm clear of everything. You too? Great. Let's have sex, which is how I think we're told it goes when people emphasize Mm -hmm. the importance of safe sex. They only give us that scenario Mm -hmm. instead of the scenario of, oh, hey, you know, I have HSV-1, but... You know, have never had an outbreak, but I did find out that I had that in a test or I did have an outbreak, but it's been two years mm-hmm. or like you talk about in your book, oh, I had HPV at one point, but it seems to have gone away and now it's clear on my paps, right? That there's a lot of different ways that conversation can go. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely.
0: Yeah. Th- yeah, thank- yeah. And thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's important. It is really important. And, you know, I think my version of get tested for everything is everything, but that doesn't mean that every reader's version of get tested for everything will be everything. And I think the, uh, around the, the herpes virus, I think specifically it's, it is really important to talk about. I know so many people who feel like they don't need to report if they have um, the oral strand. And they don't, they feel like they don't need to say it. Um, And when someone asks me, hey, do I have to tell so-and-so? And and I I say, yeah, (laughs) you do. Uh That's your, that's your responsibility. Um, No, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm somewhat hardcore about that. And I, like, like I say in the book, like... I've been getting told by doctors since I was like 15 that I don't need to tell anybody anything because I have nothing and I still do like I still tell well when I was 14 and so that's me that's my path and I'm not saying that everybody has to do what I do Um, but definitely if someone asks me for my opinion on it um, I say yeah let let people know let people know what's going on and then you know if you're dating someone or having sex with someone who is responsible and is is aware of their body they'll be aware like they're much more likely to be aware if they have a cold sore coming they'll be likely if there's some sort of outbreak coming whereas and that's where you know being you know not having a bunch of drunken sex at the beginning Mm. you know really knowing getting to know each other sober and What goes on? What's going on for this person? And, you know, can I do I do we trust each other? Are we on the same page? Do they do they love themselves? For me, that's a big one. Do you love yourself? Because if you don't, then there's a good chance you could lie, you could say something hurtful, (laughs) you could, you know, inadvertently or inadvertently like hurt me in some way. And so I'm not interested in that, you know, like, I just just want to
3: call a timeout because I feel like my dating pool is small enough as it is being somebody who's like, you know, non monogamous or polyamorous. But then to also try to find people who love themselves, I feel it's (laughs) like, oh, that's, uh, I mean, I 100% agree with you. And I like, and I I love that you make that observation also, because it's so true, right? At the end of the day that like nothing's going to work in a relationship capacity or a sexual capacity if somebody doesn't have some amount of self love. But it's just like I feel like people not loving themselves is such an epidemic, right? Oh yeah. That's to a certain extent that's why some people seek relationships or sex at all, because they don't love Mm -hmm. themselves.
0: Yeah. That's why I did for I did that for a long, long time. You know? And and I think it's at the, I think that that that's at the root of addiction, I think it's at the root of all kinds of things uh, you know we get these messages early in life and and as I say in my book, you know, I had a lot of early childhood trauma, and it it wires your brain a certain way you know and and I have to tell you like you know a good what is it almost twelve years since I've really been doing deep dive i hadn't started I started meditating about ten years ago, but I had started this work about twelve years ago. I mean, I'm still in the process and I think I will be for my whole life, you know, because I'm a human, but as far as like self love, like, like you said, some amount, like all of us, none of us are like perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, there's certain levels of self love that I feel it's just required for me. Otherwise I'm too much. It's just uneven Mm. (laughs) because I love myself so much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, to bring it back to the the importance of you know getting testing and having those conversations that that is something that even if people do love themselves and are becoming more mindful about this, that can still bring up a lot of anxiety and Uh, I was actually just um, kind of coaching a friend through this while he was nervously waiting for some test results. And, you know, the best I could tell him is, you know, hey, everyone's got stuff. Don't worry so much about it. It's going to be okay. But Mm -hmm. I love that in the book you included um, a meditation specifically for STI testing. I thought that was a really cool inclusion. I was wondering if you could just give us sort of a a quick version of that uh, for the people at home
0: yeah um so basically if i'm if i remember correctly because there's so many meditations in that book um (laughs) (laughs) um, the idea is you know all of the worrying about what's going to happen is unnecessary suffering and non-functional thinking because you know you're going to get the test and then you're going to find out like and and that's all you really need to think about it you know but because we tend to be pretty caught in our minds and and the mind tends to want to find a problem and solve it it will keep working working it over working it over so um to take time before the test, during the test, and after the test to practice a kind of focus on self where you're noticing thought and you're noticing emotion and you're not getting caught in it and you're, you're just observing it as thought and emotion and possibly even greeting it with an attitude of friendliness, of love. Um, if you start with that before the testing, then you can kind of track it all throughout. Be like, oh, there's a thought. Oh, there's an emotion. There's a thought, and you and you get. And this is especially helpful if you're already in the habit of doing a practice like this daily. But you can start one anytime. And then also, um, I don't know if this is in there or not, but um, the sort of doing doing kind of like a focus on positive for yourself. Doing a you know. I am lovable. I am whole. I am unconditionally lovable. I am unconditionally acceptable. Just offering yourself a ton of self self love and compassion and acceptance um, is also really helpful. So that you're walking into you're you're walking through that um, that experience of getting the test and waiting to find out about the test with a lot of again self love and acceptance and also with a lot of clarity, and then you can take that and take what you've built there right into the conversation you know you do
1: that affirmation section right at the beginning of the book I remember oh, do that I, do I have okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like telling yourself that you are lovable and you are good and
0: oh good yeah. so and I, that I love one that
1: comes
2: back like, a lot I love that you also yeah. address
3: that if you read those things and you, your immediate reaction is to like scoff or to be like I'm not going to say that like examine <laughs> yeah. that too like that's something yeah. to work with you know because I think yeah. I, I love that yeah
0: yeah, it's a lot of people's I mean I always whenever I have people do like a focus on positive in one of my classes like even this past week I was like okay now everyone smile and I'm like, I know you don't want to, and a bunch of <laughs> people start laughing. And I'm like, oh, yeah. but us do it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny because this the book I wrote. You know, I started working on this book over two years ago, and I wrote a draft, and then. Uh, oh a while ago now I, I rewrote like I, 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 another chapter got added and I rewrote some of the chapters. And so I ended up having this extended period. So it's kind of funny. And I'm realizing you guys are helping me realize that I need to, um, I need to go back, even though I reread it during the final editing, I kind of need to like get fresh on, on some of it because it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little foggy at times because some of mm. it was so long ago that I wrote it down.
3: No, I feel the well, same way no, but, I, Well, yeah. because in my final editing process, again, I read it like 60 times and I was like, I don't want to read this ever again. And so, right. and so since then, yeah, you know, I have clients who's like, oh yeah, I remember you mentioned this in, a, in your book and I was like... Heck yes, I did.
2: <laughs> I, I totally
3: remember that part. <laughs>
1: um, even when we do an episode, it's like, I don't remember what oh I said yesterday. Yeah, no, we
2: record
3: an episode, like the, and a week later, I'm like, I don't know what we talked about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: no idea what it was on,
3: him. <laughs> um, so I want to bring us uh, specifically to the topic of non-monogamy, which you do address. Yes. Um, and... At the risk, you know, I, I'm always nervous about making non-monogamy or polyamory sound like, oh, this is the more enlightened way to be, um, because that can be, you know, just as toxic and destructive and straight up incorrect, also, um, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I always try to avoid giving that impression. However, in your book, there was this great phrase that you use. You said you you called exploring non-monogamy as um, an extraordinary path to awakening for spiritual daredevils, um, <laughs> and uh, can you just explain that a little bit about what you mean by that? Uh,
0: sure. So, um, so I've uh, I've really never been the monogamous type, but I've tried to be, and um, I think if I was, I think if I was younger, <laughs> I probably would have embraced non-monogamy when I uh, sooner like I mean I I didn't really embrace that as a kid as a teenager because I didn't really know it was an option and so instead I just slept with a lot of people and I cheated a lot and I I just and I I didn't didn't know that actually I could I could date more than one person at a time and it could be honest and it could be like all up front so I was always sort of wired that way but then When I consciously decided, and I'd been in some open relationships that were sort of eh, but um, when I consciously decided to practice non-monogamy, I knew that what I would be facing would be a lot of jealousy. And I knew that jealousy wasn't about my partner having sex with someone else. I knew, for me, that it was about abandonment. Mm -hmm. And that I didn't get um, angry and hysterical about in a je- with jealousy because my partner was sleeping with someone else. I got insanely angry and, and mm. freaked out because I felt like I was being left alone and I was a little kid. Mm. Um, and, and there was, there were a lot of different ways that I experienced abandonment as a child and that was all deeply tied in with my jealousy stuff. And so I knew that when I embarked on this journey, in a in a conscious, awake way that I was going to come in contact with that. And the daredevil in me said spiritual daredevil said, hell yeah. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> because I know that if I if I go into territory where I'm uncomfortable, where there's unconscious stuff that hasn't been worked out, that I'm going to grow. Mm-hmm. And I'm a lot gentler in myself nowadays than I used to be. But in the past I'd be like, all right, let's go. This is uncomfortable. Let's do it. Um, but it, it really was like, I mean, I went on a, and I think I talk about it in the book. I went on like a, uh, several week, just like crazy town ride where I was just like in and out of lucidity around the jealousy. It's you, it's you, it's you. And I'd be like, no, it's my stuff. Oh yeah, it's me. Like then it's you, it's you. And I'm like, oh no. And so doing that, like, Going into the fire like that is not something that everybody can tolerate, and it's not something that I necessarily think everyone should do, but for me, it was a path to some really big healing and really big awakening. It really changed the way that I am in relationship, monogamy or non-monogamy, because I've been in and out of non-monogamy since then, and I just have a really different way of operating. And so... That, that was huge for me. And I think also even just the topic and people beginning to be willing to even talk about it or broach the subject of, Hey, I'm attracted to this other person. It does so much in a relationship. It just expands the intimacy. If both people are capable of holding that. Great.
2: Yeah. Cool. I, I just wanted to bring up quickly, cause it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that, that balance between being willing to be a little bit uncomfortable in your life because that's how you grow and that's how you expand but also not Mm -hmm. feeling like you have to be so uncomfortable all the time that you're miserable it's like finding that balance where if you're always focused on being comfortable you're never going to grow and you're going to stagnate and end up frustrated and if you're always pushing yourself you're just going to be constantly freaking out suffering it's yeah it's finding that I, shall I say the middle path
3: uh, I already dropped the middle <laughs> path you, you can't copy me <laughs> <All right. laughs>
2: but yeah it's that I, I, and I just I, I love that
3: well I, you you use this term in your book that I actually hadn't come across before and it's spiritual bypassing Um mm-hmm. and It's so interesting because it is kind of like the opposite extreme where maybe you're in a relationship and you just kind of feel like you're so connected to yourself and you're so conscious and you're so mindful that you can float above the ground and nothing will bother you, you know, that Mm -hmm. there doesn't have to be any conflict. And I've definitely seen people... Do this who are exploring some some kind of new uncomfortable territory, especially non monogamy, of kind of this feeling like if I can just take the high road at all times, then everything will be perfect. And I say that because I, I did it in an entire relationship for many, many years of mm-hmm. that anytime something was uncomfortable, I'd be like, I'm just gonna go home and meditate for an hour and then I would feel better. That was I think that was the problem, is yeah. like I would feel so much better afterwards. But and there was a lot of healing and a lot of growth there in that process, but it also meant that things that were actual for instance you know boundary violations or you know not healthy communication those things slipped under the radar because i kind of felt like again you know i could just spiritually bypass all of this um yeah so it is such an interesting tricky balance mm-hmm. to strike and to be aware of
0: mm-hmm, definitely yeah I'm a, I'm a big bypasser and i've, <laughs> I've had to work <laughs> i've had to work hard at just like you know, staying staying grounded with everything because you know I've certainly been called Spock before. Yeah. 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 So I work. I definitely like one of my goals. One of my aims is like, how can I be more human?
2: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's a great way to with, put that. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. You're just
1: so enlightened, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> just so perfect. Well, it's like you're. Were- you know,
2: it's like you were saying before that it is a process that's going on and will probably go on for all of your life. I mean, one yeah. of my favorite things is just to remember with meditation that it's called a meditation practice and not a meditation right. accomplishment. An accomplishment. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, and the same Someone's goes practice. for any sort of, like, I don't really generally use the word enlightenment, but the same goes for enlightenment, the same goes for any kind of awakening. It, it is, you practice. Yeah, That's not, not a... to say you can't, you can be struck in a moment, you know, with a peak state mm. that shows you, for example, that everything is one, or mm. shows you the emptiness of everything, or shows you the, 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 the bliss and the love, or shows you that there is no self. And there can be these really sometimes flashy experiences and peak experiences in meditation but those are just experiences, and then there's the practice of integrating what you've what you've seen what what insights have been uncovered into your life and that's a practice mm-hmm. and you see people kind of somewhat uneven because they only practice in in one realm maybe they practice a lot in spirituality but but they don't see that going into their sex life or they don't see that going into their money or whatever it is and it's it's a constant practice and and I, I think of awakening that way I don't think that there's like the big awakening, and then you're done. And then you're never yeah. going to have to like do any, because it just, that hasn't been my experience. It hasn't been the experience of anybody I've talked to. So. Right.
3: <laughs> yeah. Right. Great. Wow. Well, I could talk about this for many more hours, but we can only go on for so long. Um, thank you so much for answering all of our questions. Um, can you let our listeners know, where they can find more of you, more of your work, more of your writing.
2: And where they can pre-order this book. Yes.
0: Yes. So, okay. So the book is called Good Sex, Getting Off Without Checking Out. And it's being, it's it's from um, North Atlantic Books and it's distributed through Penguin Random House. And so you can get it um, on the North Atlantic site, on the Penguin Random House site, um, also on Amazon or through Barnes and Noble. I think it's going to be at like Target and places like that. Um, and they can but pre-order can it, right? They can pre-order it, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And um, there's, so there's that, and then you can find me um, my new site, which is it's it's a it's a, gonna be fully live soon, but it's yourwildawakening.com. So your wild awakening, um, and you can sign up for my mailing list, and you can also pre-order my book through there. Like it'll take you to to the page. Um, but I'm also, I'm on Instagram, it's at Jessica Clark Graham, um, and you can find me on, you know, you can find me on all the social media platforms.
2: And we'll link to those in our show notes, so you can check cool. those out to find, to find more about Jessica. So, thank you so much, and your book comes out on November 7th, so, That's if you're listening to this, today, <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this after the fact, you can already get it. So go get it. (laughs)
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me, you guys. Definitely.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you would like to have your question or comment played on the show, you can call our number at area code 678-MULTI05. You can also email us at info at multiamory.com, send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or leave us a voice message through Facebook. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. Full transcript of this episode is available on this episode's page at multiamory.com.
0: We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.